This is the You Can Learn Chinese podcast for everyone who's trying to learn Chinese or reaching for the next level. You came to the right place. I am your host, Jared Turner, longtime resident of China, co-founder of the Mandarin Companion Graded Reader Series, Chinese blogger, and was once attacked by a group of mimes who did unspeakable things to me. My co-host is John Paston, co-founder of Mandarin Companion, founder of All Set Learning, the Chinese Grammar Wiki, Sinosplice.com. And thinks his joke about Fibonacci numbers is just as bad as the last two you heard combined. In this episode, John and I discuss some of the latest research about how we learn to read in Chinese. This is going to be packed with insights that will change the way you think about learning Chinese. Guest interview is with Ruben Lerner, an accomplished Python developer and trainer who began learning Chinese when his work started sending him on business trips to China. Be careful because his infectious enthusiasm will quickly rub off on you. All this and more. Let's get to it. Hey guys, I'm Jared Turner. Hey, I'm John Pasden. I'm coming to you live from Utah and from Shanghai. It's a nice time of the year, fall in China. I love it. Yeah, it's not quite cold yet, but it's uh, yeah, it's nice. I think we have a great episode lined up today. But before we get into it, we have some reviews. I'll go ahead and kick this off. First review I have is from Hedgecrim from Singapore. He says, "Really enjoy this podcast. I've been looking for something like this that discusses everything about learning Chinese and not teaching you Chinese. Keep up the good work." Thanks, Hedgecrim. We really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Okay, I've got one from Age Wisdom from Malaysia. He or she says. I've gone through three of the podcasts and can safely say that all beginners of learning Mandarin should listen to this. Main highlights: Jared Turner has a very comfortable voice, and it's easy on the ears. Yeah, that's true. Oh shucks. Two, his experience in learning Mandarin is substantial, and he knows the subject matter inside out. Jared, did you write this? Is he still talking about me? Yeah, I didn't. All right. Three, looks like Jared is putting a lot of effort into the podcast. I can confirm that. With interviewing different people and their learning experience, it's great to listen to the difficulties various interviewees faced in learning Mandarin and inspiring as well.、It、gives one a lot more motivation to proceed. Four, there's no agenda or pressure to sell certain products, so you can get real, honest feedback and advice. There's some minor advert in each podcast, but it's not a big deal at all. Mandarin companion. Five, it's somewhat more lively than just reading advice on the forums or from books. I think new listeners can give feedback for new topics as well to make it even more topical and interesting. Six, it's also great to listen to John Pazden's history and how he got into learning Mandarin. All right, thank you. You notice how you're number six on that, John? Yeah, nice of him to mention me. Yeah, well, I still, your Chinese is still way better than mine. <laughs> All right, I'll stop crying. <laughs> I'm okay, man. I'm okay. We can continue. <laughs> awesome. Okay, today we are going to be discussing a research paper. Now, this paper it comes from the Routledge Handbook of Chinese Second Language Acquisition, and it was published just in two thousand eighteen. And it's from Chapter Seven, and it's talking about Chinese as a second language pertaining to reading. You don't want to know the technical term of the chapter, but it's all about learning how to read Chinese. Yeah, and the researcher is Helen H. Shen. All right, so it was fun reading this article. It, it reminded me of my days in grad school here in China. One of the first things that jumped out at me reading this article—we're、uh, not going to cover everything that the article discusses—but、um, was、uh, right in the beginning, the author mentions 
Chinese L2 reading research did not emerge until the 1990s with most studies conducted in this century. So L2 reading research means reading to learn a second language. And so um, I think it's definitely worth noting that what we're doing now, helping people learn Chinese through reading, extensive reading, graded readers, it's kind of uncharted territory. It's great to try new things, to get lots of feedback from our listeners on what's working the best for them and, and what's not. And uh, we're kind of all just forging ahead together. I think to put this in contrast, there are studies that start just with learning English. I mean, going back, gosh, early 1900s, really. We might have some 1920s, 1930s, some real primitive or real uh, you know, early research. But you do have some studies that have started in the 1950s and 60s uh, regarding you know, ESL or English as a second language. So if you put that in contrast, yeah, it's just very recent. And the other thing, too, is you didn't have a wide pool of people learning Chinese even back in the 90s. It's more modern day in the maybe in the last 10 years, you have a much larger pool of people who are learning Chinese uh, that you can you know conduct studies and research on. Yeah, this is something that comes up a lot in my conversations uh, related to my work. It's something that's really easy to forget that Chinese has not been taught to foreigners, you know, learners on any large scale until very recently. Whereas English, something that we English speakers would probably compare it to, is the most researched, the most taught, the most studied language in the history of the world. It helps Chinese to make that comparison because, you know, we can learn from all the advances that the English second language uh, pedagogy has made. Yeah, we're still in the early days. So, uh, we got lots of room for improvement, and we're working hard on that. Now, one of the first things that popped out to me in this paper, it was talking about how different Chinese is than alphabetic languages. Everyone listening to this podcast who's learning Chinese obviously knows this. It was interesting to me for them to point out right away saying, hey, look, some of the research for alphabetic languages like English or German or Italian or whatever it is, don't necessarily fully transfer over to learning Chinese as a second language. So the takeaway from that is? Chinese is harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we love to hear that, right? Like, we don't want to discourage anybody. It, I think it doesn't hurt to acknowledge that learning Chinese is a bit taxing at times. And um, learning to recognize characters, to figure out when one word ends and another one begins um, it takes time. Your pain is real, and uh, it does eventually contribute to real reading success, though. That's right. And I think that's one of the things that almost makes it fun about Chinese is that it is challenging. And I, I, John, you and, you and I, we both talk to a lot of people who have learned Chinese because, hey, people said you can't learn Chinese or they're like, wow, you can learn Chinese or, you know, I never thought I could do this. And, and so there is that aspect about learning Chinese that I can, and to a degree I do, I like it because it is difficult. It is a challenging, but it's like climbing a mountain. Why do you climb a mountain? Because it's there. And when you get to the top, or even halfway up the mountain, you, the view and, and what you can access from it can be really rewarding. Yep, for sure. There's another part of the article related to what we were just saying, which is about spaces between words. Um, this is something that's kind of new in the field of teaching Chinese, and so not a ton of research has been done on it. In fact, on the Chinese Grammar Wiki, we added in spaces between words like way back in the beginning, and I kind of knew from my experience that it was helpful, but there wasn't a whole lot of research that had been done on it, but now some more research has been done. And so the results, I'll just sum it up, are that adding spaces in between words in a Chinese character text 
really helps beginners who are still struggling to identify the words. But the bigger your vocabulary and the more quickly you can recognize words and parse where one word ends and another begins, the less useful it is. So let me just read a quick quote here. For students with poor reading skills, their sentence reading speed with word demarcation was faster than that without demarcation. According to the authors, the spaces between words did not facilitate reading comprehension because the sentences were easy and third-year native Chinese students had already accumulated adequate printing experience comparable to that of adult readers. So they tested on uh, you know, Chinese readers and they found that it didn't help, but that it does help first-year learners of Chinese. Now, why is that so? Because this is something I think we overlook. And frankly, sometimes teachers uh, maybe don't really emphasize or, or recognize this, this aspect because Chinese characters, like obviously there's no spaces. And so you have to be able to be familiar enough with the characters and the word, the grammar, how it's used to automatically parse that language. Now, it's interesting here. One of the statistics they threw out in this paper here is that 17% of words are one character words. 74% are two-character words, 3% are three-character words, and then like 4% are uh, four-character words, and then it kind of you know goes a little bit from there. It's like when you come across the words, if you don't know it well enough, you have to decide, hey, is, is this one character word by itself or the two characters um, together are those words? And, and that takes mental power. It makes And so it's one additional step that makes reading in Chinese a little more difficult. Yeah, and the place where that comes into these kinds of empirical studies is that, you know, we can't see what's going on in your brain as you're struggling to make sense of a sentence, but it slows you way down. And so when you have these spaces, what can be easily uh, verified by experiment is that the lower level learners start to read more quickly. That's right, because it just takes that one task out of reading, which is great. And in fact, John, this is something that we were planning to do or we want to do with the breakthrough level readers, our 150 character readers. But we had some technical limitations that didn't allow us to do it right now. Yeah, we use software for certain things and it wasn't built to handle spaces. And we can definitely do it and we're going to do it. It would have slowed us down a little bit too much. We want to get all five of these new breakthrough level books out this year. But um, it's good to see studies like this that very clearly state that it helps the uh, beginner readers. Yeah, and in that study here, it was it had a, a few studies where they took sentences and paragraphs and they put the spaces in between words, and then they had ones that didn't have spaces without the words, you know, and they tested the students, and pretty much it found that pretty much the learners they used less reading time and got stuck fewer times in reading uh, when there were spaces between the text. So you know, this is a great thing, and that just highlights that if you're trying to read Chinese and you are coming across this problem, it's like, hey, I know all these words. You know, that's not a problem. I know all the characters. I can. I know all the words, but my reading is still slow. Why is that? This is one of the reasons, because you haven't had enough experience parsing the text. But the more you read, the easier it's going to be for you to be able to parse this text and then improve your reading speed. And one of the things that we always talk about here, John, is that, you know, the, the faster you begin to read, more things start to happen in your brain, and that really increases your fluency. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting right here that one of the things that people do to increase their familiarity with vocabulary, which hopefully helps them read, is to do flashcards. They say individual words on flashcards. And of course, recognizing words is useful, but if you don't practice parsing out those words that you know, you got to actually practice reading whole sentences. The flashcards can only do so much. This leads into another aspect of the paper, and it's talking about reading skills. 
Now, one of the glaring takeaways I, I got away from this is, is that if you are a good reader in your native language, you are going to be a better reader in your second language. And, and that was a fascinating takeaway, but I have experienced this and I've talked about this with different um, teachers in Chinese dual immersion programs. And it is true as they find out, hey, if, if especially when you're dealing with kids, because you may have like a, a second or third grader and if they're on reading chapter books in, you know, in my in my case and reading chapter books in English, they are more likely to be a better reader in Chinese and be able to begin actually reading low level readers. Whereas if you have that child and they're not reading their English very well, they're definitely not going to be ready to read in Chinese. So this is just one overarching thing, guys, is that if you out there, if you were trying to improve your reading skills, but you find that maybe I'm not a very fast reader or maybe you feel like you're a poor reader in your native language, one good step is actually, hey, start reading in your native language. Some of those skills that you're going to learn and and the proficiency will carry over to your second language. And I think for kids, confidence is a big part of it. You know, if you've already faced that wall of text in English, then the wall of text in Chinese is not nearly as intimidating, but it's still intimidating. Yeah, true, true. This also leads into reading skills. And this is something I've worked with teachers on. If you just think in your literature class in your native language, sometimes teachers will talk about using the context to understand things. I don't know if you, John, if you've ever you know, worked with someone like this, is that you say, hey, if you know the whole sentence, but you don't know maybe that character, or that word, maybe you might be able to guess what it means. You know, even one of the things that sometimes Chinese teachers might say is, hey, maybe if you know the radicals, maybe you can use the radicals to try to guess what the character means. It can give you some clues. Right. But this paper, it points out that some of these are more advanced skills. For example, if it, the conclusion was here is they found that beginner level learners or low level learners, they focus more on knowing the meanings of the words to understand the text. And that makes sense with Chinese, because if you just don't know the word, you can't decode it. But when you go into intermediate students, they are able to use more strategies. They're called global processing strategies, which this pretty much means connecting the information that's in the in the paragraph or the sentence. You compare maybe what happened before to after. You know all the other words. And so you maybe can use the context to begin to understand what's going on in that sentence. And so that helps you get the gist and the meaning of the text to improve your reading comprehension. But see, that is a more of an intermediate skill. So if any of you guys have ever experienced that, where you're like kind of a beginner, like, oh, maybe you can guess this and like it. Maybe you can if you have some help. But that's once again, that's something you happens at more of an intermediate level. And then moving on further to a higher level, if you're more of an advanced level, you can pretty much use all these skills. And you can also use previous information. You've probably had enough input of Chinese that's going to assist you in understanding what that text is. Yeah, this kind of relates to uh, something called cognitive load theory. So if you think of the brain as kind of like a computer, then a lower level learner has to spend all their processing power just like remembering, is this that character? Is it that other character? And then like figuring out the, the boundaries between the words. And they just don't have any, any processing power left to, to go beyond that. Uh, whereas an intermediate learner, you know, they can recognize the words, but maybe they're kind of struggling a bit like, okay, I know these words, but what is this sentence saying? And I have to think about the grammar, right? So the processing power is going somewhere else. Whereas when you get to a high enough level, you understand the words, you understand the grammar, you know the literal meaning of the sentence, but then you're kind of thinking, okay, what is this author trying to say? Is this different from what we read, you know, last week, blah, blah, blah. Um, so yeah, it gets more global 
connected, and uh, holistic. And that leads into one of the other aspects about learning Chinese and learning words. So another concept covered by the article is that of semantic transparency, which just means, you know, how easy a word can be deduced from the characters. Some words, maybe you don't really know the word, but as soon as you see those two characters, you know what it means. And then other words, uh, it's maybe not quite as obvious down to the point where it's um, just totally bewildering, like it doesn't give you any clues at all. They kind of put four levels to this, and I think it's good to talk about this. So the first one, it says, absolutely transparent. It's like the meaning can be derived directly from the two characters. So the example they give is Ming Liang, which is like brightness. And so Ming is kind of like clear and bright, and Liang is bright. So, you know, that, that makes sense. Ming, Ming Liang. Can you think of another one, John? Like Nan Ren, male person, that's a man. Bam. There you go. <laughs> And the second one is relatively transparent. So that's like the meaning can be inferred from the two characters, but may not be totally transparent. One of my favorites is shouji, or, you know, like a cell phone. And you got shou, hand, and ji is machine. So hand machine. You're kind of like, all right, I kind of get that. Maybe Maybe it's a little more opaque, but that's one of my favorite ones. Could relate to level three, relatively opaque meaning maybe only part of the word is really clear. For example, uh, electric brain. It's not really a brain, but it is an electric thing. Maybe that's second level. What do you think? I think so. I mean, it, it kind of makes sense, but if you see it together, it's not exactly transparent. But if someone says it to you and you kind of make the connection, you're like, oh, okay, I, I can see that. So anyway, the fourth level is absolutely opaque. And they gave the example of xiaoxi, meaning information. Yeah, my favorite one about this is xiao xin, which is careful. So xiao, little, xin, heart. I mean, what does that have to do with careful? I may, There's some connection, but it's, it's not readily apparent. I don't know. I, I feel like it somehow connects for me mentally. Little heart, be careful. Yeah, make your heart little. Yeah, totally makes sense. <laughs> Come on, some of our <laughs> listeners feel me on this one, I'm sure. So these are some of the things that, you know, add the additional complexity to learning Chinese. And that's why some of you guys out there, there are certain words that you remember better or you just makes more sense to you because they relate to each other. Whereas other ones, you see that word and I just kind of forget that every time. And, and maybe it's because it's a little bit more opaque that the, the characters together don't make obvious sense. And I think one of the interesting things about this is that sometimes the absolutely transparent ones are not as memorable. You know, like you might forget mobile telephone, but just, you know, hand machine, shouji, that's somehow memorable, you know? Yeah, I think so. Oh, and your favorite one, John? I know this is your favorite word. It's dai shu, kangaroo, right? <laughs> is it my favorite? I do like it. You do like it. It's the bag rat. Dai, dai zi, bag, shu, uh, mouse or rat. Yeah. Bag rat. Good old bag rat. Okay, so then one of the other topics the article covers is readability, obviously directly related to what we're doing. What makes material in a foreign language, in this case Chinese, what makes it readable? And so there have been studies on this, but only recently have many of the studies been focused on Chinese. This actually feeds into what we've been doing to develop our own graded readers. So one quote is, Later studies by Jing, 1992-1995, used three major criteria to measure text difficulty. The number of words, 
the average sentence length, and the ratio of familiar words per article. Yeah, this really uh, reminded me of the days that I spent developing our, our backend system, which analyzes the text that we're writing. It's kind of an ongoing interactive process. You write something, you analyze it, you edit it, uh, you keep moving forward and analyzing and editing as you go. And so we do definitely take into account, obviously, the number of words and characters, uh, how many are familiar and unfamiliar, as well as the average sentence length, because on average, a longer sentence is going to be harder for a learner to understand. And then, of course, how many familiar words are in each section of the, of the reading. That makes total sense. And, and it's interesting that there hasn't been a lot of research on this. There have been some models to try to analyze you know, the readability of text. In fact, there was a guy who wrote a research paper about the readability of different texts, and he used HSK levels to analyze some other readers versus and our readers in the same paper. And so I actually wrote an article about that on our Manor Companion website. We'll include that in the show notes. So I, it's really interesting that because there's been a lack of algorithms or systems to level text and to like see how readable it is, is that the default is typically people will fall back on like the HSK system. And they'll say, oh, this is like an HSK one or HSK two or three or four level. And they'll use that to say, all right, you know, how readable is this? But it's a lot more than that, right, John? It's not just about what characters are used. There's a whole lot of factors that go into how readable a text is. Yeah, it's super complex. And this is one area where um, English language uh, materials and Chinese language materials are very different. So, for example, if you want to do a study on readability and you're doing it in English, you have such a wealth of material to draw upon, you know, whether it's for non-native learners that are learning English or whether it's for English children, you know, things like Dr. Seuss or. And so you have the existing materials and then you can study them, apply your algorithms, do your experiments, see what results you get. And so that's been done extensively, of course. Whereas with Chinese, there's just not as much material out there that you could easily say this is easy to read. So until there is like a wealth of reading material uh, that can be the subject of these studies, there's just not as much to go on. I think we should develop one, John. Well, we kind of are, but we've also got this research uh, which is backing us up. So that's good. Now, I'll take one of the conclusions of this paper that I think is very telling about even what we're doing here, John, because you guys listening, you know, we're, we're the guys behind Mandarin Companion. But this paper endorses everything we talk about here. And here's what it says. Reading educators all agree that plenty of reading inside and outside of class is fundamental to developing reading skills. However, the field, especially in elementary reading education, still lacks reading materials suitable for students at all levels to support reading development. We particularly need so-called high-interest, low-readability reading materials, which have controlled text factors such as word frequency, sentences, short text length, coherent ties, but contains themes, topics, and subjects interesting to mature readers. That just spells out Manor Companion right there. I mean, that's what we're trying to do, is that we are developing these high-interest texts that are low-level reading, it's controlled, good word, you know, a lot of word recycling, short sentences, a lot of coherent themes, but it's interesting that people actually like. And the funny thing is, even when you get to an advanced level, there's a lot more you can read. You know, you can just go on the internet and find all kinds of things, but stuff that is really interesting to advanced learners like Westerners, 
Um, it actually takes some sifting to get to that stuff. So I deal with that a lot with uh, with my clients. But um, it's kind of a problem across the board. And the, old, the other thing too, John, is that sometimes when the people get to an advanced level, they may still be at an intermediate level of reading, even if they have all the vocabulary. And so this is another takeaway I got from this paper is that it was mentioned in here that the, the ultimate reading goal is to read to learn rather than learn to read, right? Because the more you read, the more you're going to learn. Instead of trying to treat it as just a skill in and of itself is like saying, I'm going to practice my reading skills. No, no. It's more of like, hey, get into the text, find something that's readable for you. And the more you read, the more you're going to learn. And the more you read, the faster your language is going to develop and the more fluent you're going to become in Chinese. Because another takeaway I've gotten from all these research papers I've read is that reading develops your language in ways that speaking cannot. And it's so true. If you just think of how they talk about kids learning to read in, in your native language, they're like, hey, reading's important. You know, kids should be reading 20, 30 minutes a day. That's so important. And it's also important when you're learning a second language. You need to read in that language because it develops your language abilities and skills in ways that just speaking alone will not. And it's important to know, like, what's the difference between learn to read and read to learn? It's basically practice. To go from, you know, having learned to read to reading to learn, you just got to practice, practice, develop that reading fluency. So it's there, guys. Get out and do it. All right. So that wraps up our, our review of this paper. All right. Now it's time for a word from our sponsor. And John, today, our sponsor is... This is going to be a true shock to our listeners because the sponsor is All Set Learning. This is my company. Yeah, Yay. it works with uh, with Man and Companion. And uh, what I want to talk about today is the book club courses on All Set Learning. So if you've read a Man and Companion book, you enjoyed it, you felt like it helped your learning, but you'd like to find a way to insert it into your speaking, like you'd like to talk about it, um, that's exactly what these one-on-one online courses are designed to do. Have you read the book and then you talk about it with a teacher who knows the material, like you don't have to explain what a graded reader is or that it's not a translation. Um, you can actually talk about the book with someone. This is a huge benefit, guys, because when you have something that's interesting, that you've read, that you like talking about, it really helps the conversation. It gives you a whole lot more to say. You're not so much thinking about what you're going to say. You already know what you're going to say. You're trying to figure out how to say it. And that is excellent practice for your speaking. Yeah, you just got to say it and get it out, right? So it's a fantastic way to boost your fluency. It leverages extensive reading and the Manor Companion graded readers. So there'll be a link in our show notes. But John, where can listeners go to find out about these courses? Allsetlearning.com slash courses. Allsetlearning is one word, allsetlearning.com. Right now we have courses for three books, The Secret Garden, Sherlock Holmes in the Case of the Curly-Haired Company, and The Ransom of Red Chief, all level one Manor Companion books. If you've already read the book, uh, I can tell you from the experience of our um, other learners that it's quite beneficial to go back through the book and talk about it. Um, it basically locks in everything that you learned on your initial read. All right. Now it's time for rants and raves. John, what do you have for us today? A rant or a rave? I have a rave, and it's kind of a rave by a proxy. It was given to me by my friend, Jeremy. He's a 
an enthusiastic learner of Chinese, pretty advanced. And he gave me this idea, and I think it's uh, I think it's really cool. A lot of our listeners might not know about this, and it's worth hearing about. Okay, what is it, John? <laughs> Come on, I wanted to hear an enthusiastic. What is it? Tell me what it is. Okay, John, what is it? Tell me, I've got to know. All right, so it's called dan mu, and uh, this is a word that comes from the word for bullet, which is zidan in Chinese, and zimu, which is subtitles. So what are bullet subtitles? I think more accurately, they'd be called bullet comments or bullet commentary. Uh, Jeremy liked the term ticker text. So the idea is if you're watching a video on a Chinese website, it's all in Chinese, there's this thing called dan mu, which you can turn on or off. And these comments that other viewers are making start scrolling across the video from right to left. And it's just people making comments. It's Sometimes it's more intellectual, like director's commentary, whereas other times they're making snarky little comments about, you know, the outfit of one of the people on the show or whatever. And it's on talk shows. It's on, it's on uh, you know, TV series. It's something that I don't think we have an equivalent of in English. So it's an example of like cool Chinese culture, Chinese creativity in the modern age. Wow, that sounds really interesting. If we can find it, we'll put a link in the show notes so that you can see an example of what this is. All right, John. Thanks for that. Okay, I've got a rave. For some people, it's the best kept secret as far as any app for learning Chinese. It's Playco. Playco. It is the best Chinese language dictionary for L2 learners. So if you don't have it, you should download it on your smartphone like immediately. Playco, it's P-L-E-C-O. Gosh, it has one of the best dictionaries. I mean, you can type in pinyin, you can type in English word, or you can actually type in characters and it'll bring up the different definitions that match those. Um, you, but it has a lot of extra features on top of it. You can actually like trace in characters. So if you see a character somewhere, you can you know use your finger and trace it in. It'll pull it up. But what I love about it, John, I love the optical reader. The optical reader is very good. It'll use the camera on your phone. You can point it at text. Hopefully it's a, a good font and hand, handwritten characters are always difficult to recognize anyway. But if you point it at some text, you can actually freeze it. It'll, and it'll, try, it'll optically recognize the characters. But it has one even better feature that I like, uh, especially for the, for the mobile phone. And this only works on Android or non-iOS, non-Apple devices. But it has uh, an overlay on your screen so it can actually optically recognize any characters on your screen. So it, it can be good for actually trying to read a book if it's a little bit of a stretch for you or some websites. And you can tap the characters and it brings up a definition. So Playco is excellent. And I'm always amazed at the number of people that don't know about Playco. So if you don't have Playco and you haven't heard of it before, go out and download it. You know, even if you're traveling to China and you don't speak any Chinese, you can at least look up some words. Um, and, you know, try to say, oh, um, I mean this, you know, roll. I want, you know, chicken or something. So that's super helpful. Pleco, it's out there. You can download it for free. Totally agree. That's one of the first questions I ask my, uh, my new clients. Like, you have Pleco, right? Uh, sometimes they don't. Usually they do. Um, if you don't have it, definitely get it. Yes. And if you're not using it, it's just like facepalm. Like, come on, man. Don't tell anyone. Just download it and pretend like you had it all along. <laughs> we won't tell anyone. I am so happy to be here with you today. That is Reuven Lerner. And if you know Reuven, you know he's not kidding when he says he is happy to be here. 
I teach programming to high-tech companies around the world. And I've been in business since about 1995 with my own little consulting company. Reuven is quite the gifted programmer, marketer, and linguist. If you're looking to learn Python, he's your man. I am originally, as you can tell from my accent, from the United States. I grew up there, went to college there. And well, in 95, I moved to Israel. So I currently live in Modi'in, which is a small city halfway between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. There are Chinese learners all over the world. Reuven's story is an inspiration to everyone that no matter where you are, you can learn Chinese. In this interview, you'll also see the doors that Chinese can open and bring opportunities you would otherwise be unable to grasp. Stay with us. Okay, now, Reuben, I got the million-dollar question here. Why did you start learning Chinese? So the story is that uh, for a few years, I did training not on my own through my own company, but I was having my training marketed through another company, a training company based here in Israel. And one day they called me up and said, hey, would you be interested in going and training in China? And the obvious answer was, Duh, yes, you're going to fly me to China. I'm going to go there. (laughs) What did you know about China at the time? I mean, what I read in the newspaper. That was about it. Like, I mean, what I learned in, I guess it was like 10th grade, 11th grade world history. Um, Although things have changed a bit since then. And really did not know much of anything at all. So I started asking around. I started asking friends who had gone to China because Israel is a lot of international business. A lot of people have gone there. And I actually had two friends who had gone there. And both of them gave me all sorts of tips for going. And both of them said independently, oh, and by the way, no one there speaks English. Um, so you should really learn some Chinese. <laughs> now, my class, I was going to be teaching in English. But um, the training company, un- unlike many other companies that fly Westerners there, the training company was not going to provide me with a driver, a car, a translator, anything. It was like, here are plane tickets, get to your hotel, and show up at training the first day at the following address. (laughs) So these friends telling me no one on the uh, the street speaks English, you should learn some Chinese. So my initial reaction was, haha, that's really funny. Clearly, that's impossible, right? No one can really learn Chinese. And they were like, no, no, no. First of all, you really should. And second of all, you really can So I decided to take this as a bit of a challenge, a personal challenge. And, uh, you know, I got some Chinese pod episodes um, and I started doing some reading and I went to China and I could say a few basic sentences, but oh my goodness, they really understood what I was saying. And I could really read a few things here and there. And otherwise I felt completely illiterate. The first time I felt illiterate as an adult, but I started going back to China more and more. I now go there about three to five times a year. And I guess it was about five years ago now, I finished my PhD and I, as I like to tell people, needed a new, um, you know, Sisyphean task to take upon myself. And so I said, well, if I'm going to China this often, and if I was able to learn a little bit already, maybe I should take it more seriously. And so five years ago, I started to take the plunge. And now I do five days a week, an hour every morning of lessons. And every time I go to China, I feel better and better about it because what do you know? It's not an impossible language to learn. And by the way, I should add, I am far, far, far from fluent, and I still get a good feeling from it. Tell me more about that first experience going to China. Like, how long did you study before you went? And what was that like when you were on the ground and you were actually trying to use some Chinese you had just learned? So probably about a month, maybe even two months before I went, I was bothering the heck out of my family by playing the Chinese podcasts 
in the kitchen, in the living room, I'd be doing dishes, and you know, that you know, it'd be wo shi ing warren, right? Like very slowly, very annoyingly. <laughs> <laughs> and my family was like, please, please get headphones. And, but after a month or two of that, I was like, well, okay, let's see how it works. And I got there. And here and there, I was able to understand a few things, just some snippets. And here and there, I was able to say things to people. Not a lot, not a lot at all. But those little bits, like going to a restaurant, yeah, like telling them, uh, I, 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 like, I only want to eat vegetarian food. I'm a vegetarian. They were like, like, they actually understood me. It was like magic. It was really, really amazing. And it was just like this intoxicating feeling. I felt like I cracked this code. I felt like I'd somehow I don't know, started communicating with you know people on Mars or something, that it was supposed to be impossible, and yet it was completely possible. And I should say, the people in China were, even though my level of Chinese was pathetic, they were so encouraging. Now, they were also encouraging in the ridiculous way, right? Oh, your Chinese is so good, which I've come to understand <laughs> means, wow, I'm amazed I can actually understand you despite your terrible Chinese. Fine. I think that's a great translation of that. (laughs) (laughs) But it was really like, (laughs) they they were so encouraging and so happy to have me do it. I was like, okay, I got to get in on this. I like, if I'm going to come back to China, I want to be able to speak more and do more with people. And it just sort of built up from there. So it sounded like you had some early wins, so to speak, that just really spurred you on. Right. And like, I would say every trip, there are one or two times where Chinese has saved me, helped me, given me an incredible boost, allowed me to talk to people who I otherwise wouldn't be able to communicate with, um, have experiences that I feel go way beyond what other travelers and especially business travelers get to do. Um, And, uh, you know, sometimes I can even play the hero. Once I was in, I think it was a Shanghai shopping mall, and I come down the, the escalator and this guy at a, a clothing store runs up to me, says, excuse me, do you speak any Chinese? And I was like, well, actually, yeah. <laughs> I do. How can I help you, you know, kind citizen? And basically, he wanted to buy some shirts and wanted to, like, come back the next day to pay for them. And the woman at the store didn't know any English, and he didn't know any Chinese. And sure enough, I was able to translate for them. And I was flying high for, like, a week after that, that I was actually able to do it. <laughs> You know, you talking about your first experience going to China there, it reminds me of uh, someone who once told me it's like the four stages of learning Chinese. Stage one, you think you know everything. Stage (laughs) two, you realize you know nothing. Stage three, you're afraid you'll never know anything. And then stage four, you realize you know just a little bit. Precisely. Precisely. Every, every time, every time uh, I go to China, I'm like, well, now I'm going to show them because I am just great at this. And then within days, I have a humbling experience where I realize, oh, okay, there's a lot more to go. But but every time I'm able to do some communication, I must say, right, just the it, it feels it's this priceless feeling of being able to communicate with people with whom I otherwise wouldn't be able to, or. Um, like just sort of get things from them. I, I feel like very often when I'm at a hotel, by talking to the people there in Chinese, they sort of give me a little extra. And maybe I'm fooling myself. Uh, maybe I get in English too, but I feel like they're, they're willing to go the extra mile, you know, go the extra kilometer as it were, <laughs> for me to you know really be satisfied. Well, I want to hear a little bit about what have you done to achieve your language proficiency? In fact, let us know, like kind of where is your Chinese at right now? And, you know, you talked about how you did Chinese pod at the beginning, but like, what have you been doing to kind of move and improve your Chinese forward? 
Okay, so there, there are a few different things that I do. The, the main sort of baseline is um, I take daily lessons, so five days a week, five, five hours a week with eChinese Learning, eChineseLearning.com, which is basically sort of a, an online uh, teacher-student matchmaking service. So um, I go to their schedule online. You know, I sign up in advance. So I've signed up for a year or so in advance. I go to their schedule up to a month in advance. I click on the hours I want. I have a primary teacher with, with whom I've been in good touch for about five years now. Um, and then if she's not available, I'll get a substitute teacher. So I do that a bunch. And that's like my baseline that makes sure every day I've got about an hour of conversation, reading. Um, I don't do writing per se. Like we tried writing characters and my handwriting is abysmal in Hebrew and in English. And so in Chinese, it was just like, it was a, it would make for a great comedy show, but not for actual good written communication. Um, but I do use pinyin on, on the computer on my phone. So like I'm able to write, just not with a, a pen and paper. So that gives me my like every day, a little bit of a boost, every day, some new vocabulary, some reading stories, some conversation. And sometimes the class is just, hey, what did you do today? Let's just chat. Sometimes it's even talking about the news, and I will actually raise sensitive subjects sometimes with my teacher because, like, we've gotten to know each other well. And sometimes it's, like, just going through more vocabulary and grammar, right? It's a real mixed bag. So that's what I do to sort of keep going. And I know that if I even take a break for two, three weeks, I can feel that the fluency has gone down a bit, that I need to keep it going all the time. Um, in addition, I do a few other things. Um, the, I use the Do Chinese app on my phone. So sometimes like I do training. And so I speak for eight hours a day, minus lunch and breaks. And so I'm kind of antisocial during lunch, because if I go to lunch with my students, they all ask me questions, continuing class. And I need a break, guys. Like I can talk a long time, but even I need a break. So when I'm having lunch by <laughs> myself, I'll often practice my reading with Do Chinese. Um, so I'll go through like two, three small stories there. I've also used the Chinese bow in the past. Quite frankly, I just don't have time to do both. So I've uh, stuck more with Do Chinese. Um, and then I'll try to read some other stuff. So I've gone through all the Mandarin Companion books, the levels one and two books. And those I have great fun. Like, I heard I, those are great books. I, I, I've heard also, like you should really, if you ever talk to the, uh, the people in charge of that company. <laughs> so I mean, I, I've, I think I've got them all and I've gone through each of them at least once, probably even twice. And my family thinks it's funny because I generally don't read very much fiction. I'm very much a, a nonfiction kind of person. And so all of these stories are new to me. Um, and those, I would say, especially the level two are, are perfectly for my level. So it's this incredible feeling of satisfaction. Yeah, I can read this, not say skim it, but read it like easily in a weekend, I can go through one of the level two books. Um, and so that's like a great feeling there. And then when I really, really want to push myself, I'll do two things. One is I'll try to read the New York Times in Chinese. Uh, they have a Chinese version. I have the Zhongwen plugin for my browser to do translation, which I need because they use a lot of formal language. And also try to listen to some things. Like there's a slow Chinese podcast, uh, which I think is no longer, but I have some archives of them. They have one that I just discovered a few weeks ago. Uh, what was it? Ting uh, Shui uh, Chongwen, like where they have lots of uh, Chinese stories. Mm -hmm. A little fast for me, but I want to work on my listening comprehension at normal speed. So all those things together probably mean that in addition to the five hours I do of class, I probably spend another two to four hours a week doing something in Chinese somewhere. Oh, you know, Reuben, I, I, that's amazing, all the things that you're doing. I really applaud that. It definitely shines through in your Chinese and how it's improved. But what I want to know is that there's probably a lot of people listening to you right now, and they're like, wow, this guy's doing all this stuff. I mean, he's spending like you know, eight to 10 hours a week on Chinese, and they're like, I don't have that time. But I know you, Reuben. I've known you for a while. You've got your own business. you got family. you got kids. 
two questions. No, how do you want to find the time? And then two, how do you keep it as a priority in your life of learning Chinese? So I find the time, look, I used to ask people, how do you find the time to do X or Y, where X or Y could be just about anything? And people always say, you make the time for things you want to do. And for me, the hour I do of Chinese, especially the in-person lesson, is just my favorite hour of the day. I'm not in charge. I'm not in charge of teaching. It's pure pleasure. It's pure pleasure and a great sense of accomplishment. When I look at my textbook, I look back at the earlier textbooks. And I remember when the current textbook, like on volume five of this textbook series, I remember when it looked impossible when I first bought it. I would never be able to read this stuff. And I'm able to read it like fairly fluently. Like what a great feeling. So, so there's a lot of motivation there to just sort of do something totally wildly different than what I do during my sort of day-to-day job. But that's not entirely true either, because I go to China for work. I would love at some point, if I could, to lecture in Chinese. And I'm even starting a Chinese company so that I can distribute my training there on my own rather than going through a training company. So I have some motivation, like business motivation to do it also. How much that will really play into things remains to be seen. Now, how do I find the time then? I just sort of play games with it. So I tend to get up early. So like I will have my Chinese lessons at five in the morning. Um, or six in the morning, or if I'm traveling, that actually makes it easier because I don't have to like don't have to be with my kids or my wife. I can just sort of go and have my lessons. So I'll try to bunch them up when I'm traveling sometimes. And if you ask my family, they'll just sort of roll their eyes and say, "Oh my god, it's Reuven's obsession! Like, what <laughs> is this thing with Chinese?" And you do have to be a little crazy and obsessed. But again, the payoff every time I go is really big, and I, I feel it. So, what is the obsession with Chinese for you? Like why? What was that inflection point where you said, "Hey, this was interesting and was fun"? To it's like, "Hey, I really want to invest in this." Ultimately, we put time into the things that are most important to us, and this is obviously very important to you. What is it? So I think part of it is like I love word puzzles, and I see Chinese as sort of the ultimate word puzzle. Where like, can I crack this code? Can I really figure out how the grammar and the characters and the pronunciation and the tones and all that other stuff fit together? And I keep saying. Of course I can do it because lots of other people can do it. So if they've been able to do it, I should be able to do it too. Now, perhaps that's like a little, uh, you know, egocentrical or whatever, but like I keep thinking that. The other thing is I've sort of done it already. I've done it already with Hebrew. I mean, I moved to Israel. I already knew at the age of 25 and I already knew Hebrew, but I wasn't fluent. And now I know I go out and lecture every day about programming and data science in Hebrew. And I have an accent, but I'm able to do it. Uh, you know, my, my children laugh at my accent, but I'm able to do it. And so I feel like, okay, I've, I've done this once before. I should be able to do this with Chinese also, right? Like I've cracked the code. Now, that's not entirely true. It's a different language, a harder language, one I've started learning at a much later age and one where I'm not living in the country. Um, so there are more obstacles, but I still feel like, okay, where I've gotten has already been good. Maybe I can do even better. And as I expand my business in China, I see knowing Chinese will give me more and more opportunities. And if I stick with only English, it'll, it'll limit what I can do and who I can interact with. So I'm curious to understand, like, maybe any similarities in learning Hebrew versus learning Chinese, or maybe how learning Hebrew helped you learn Chinese, or just the concept of knowing a second language. Make you talk about that. So they're wildly different languages, right? Just as English and Hebrew are wildly different because Hebrew is a Semitic language. So its grammatical structure is very different from English. Uh, It has this whole concept of roots, which doesn't exist in English. It does exist in Arabic, for example. So Chinese has given me a lot of perspective on like, okay, here's another totally different way the language works. And yet there are always going to be nouns and verbs and adverbs 
And and you just have to sort of then say, okay, well, this language works this way and that language works the other way. And be able to compare them and say, ha, huh, I can see the similarities and the differences. I think that does help a bit. It also, like for, for me, one of the coolest things is that both Chinese and Hebrew are ancient languages. And so, but they're used in modern times. And so there are these ancient pieces that show through in the day-to-day language. One of my favorite, favorite Chinese words is mashan, yeah. right? Like, which means on horseback, but it really means right away, right? And why would that be? Because like originally the fastest way to get somewhere was on horseback or so I'm going to guess, right? Not being a, a linguist. Well, you know, in Hebrew, you have also these sort of ancient pieces that stick through the language even to the current day. And so I love finding those things and comparing how do the languages work. But in terms of how I learned Hebrew helping me with how I learned Chinese, I wish I could point to something real. Oh, you know what? Yes, actually, actually, you know what? I can. When I got to Israel, I would listen to the radio and I would say, I have no idea what they're saying. They're speaking too fast. And nowadays I flip on the radio and listen to it. So I know, I know it's possible to go through that process and through exposure, through as much reading as possible, as much listening as possible, and as much being able to laugh at yourself as possible is, is going to do it. If you are so embarrassed, you're never going to speak unless you can get it perfectly. Well, you'll never speak and then you'll never get perfect. You have to be willing to put yourself out there, say things, have someone crinkle their nose and say, I have no idea what you said, or laugh at what you said because you accidentally said something bizarre or obscene, hopefully not too (laughs) obscene. (laughs) You know, if you can sort of put aside that um, reticence to make mistakes, you'll be able to do it. And I've definitely done that in Hebrew. Like, I made tons of mistakes, still do. And they laughed at me, I laughed at myself, and I got better. You know, I would venture to say that that is your... Chinese superpower, if you will, you know, your ability to go out there and just, you know, not even care what people think about you and just start talking. And I imagine that's probably helped you a lot in learning the language. Absolutely. And and like, I take advantage of the fact, so Israel's a really small country and you'll probably run into the same people on occasion again. In China, I know there is no chance on God's great earth that I will run into these random (laughs) people again. Right. And so I'll talk to them. What do I have to lose? They'll just roll their eyes and say, okay, another crazy foreigner who thinks he can speak Chinese and I'll walk away and they'll never think about me again, except telling jokes to their family. Right. But I've gotten that practice in and I've managed to communicate or not. Or when they respond to me, I realize, oh, I should have said it in this way rather than that way. I would say that's also really important. When you're speaking to people, pay attention to their pronunciation, pay attention to their grammar and their vocabulary. And then if you can just sort of mimic them, because they're probably speaking better than you are. And so through lots of conversations, be like, oh, that's how you say this, or that's how you say that. Either new vocabulary, grammar, whatnot. Yeah. Can you tell us about any breakthrough moments you had in learning Chinese? Like some point where you had an experience you had, all of a sudden, hey, something clicked, or you felt like you really made a a giant leap forward? I don't know. I, I think it's been very gradual. Because I've been studying little by little, I've definitely had like sort of big wins and big successes. I said, aha, I could never have done this a year ago. I never could have done this two years yeah, ago. Maybe that. So look, just so just recently, uh, so in August, uh, I flew to Shanghai from Israel via Beijing. And I remember uh, they, they said that I was going to have a two-hour window to transfer. Now, I've been to China a lot. And, and I know that when you land, the first airport you land at is the one that you have to go through passport control in. And so they told me when I was checking in in Israel, okay, you'll land in Beijing and your flight to Shanghai is two hours later. You'll need to go through security again, pick up your luggage and check it in again and go through passport control before all that. 
And I sort of stuttered her and said, there's no way that I'm going to be able to do that because you know how long it takes, right? It's it's just not possible. And so she said, don't worry, it'll all be fine. Well, (laughs) we arrive in Beijing and there is, of course, an enormous line at passport control. And I'm looking at the clock and there's a woman at the airport with a vest and on the back of it it says in like, I don't know, eight, 10 languages, ask me for help. So I go up to her and say in Chinese, my flight is in an hour and a half. I really need to make this flight. What can you do for me? And she says, come with me. I'll take you to the VIP line. Nice. Now, 20 other Israelis at that point, 20 other Israelis are like, we're with him. <laughs> and, they follow me. and they were all like, how did you do that? What did you do? What did you say? And I was thinking, wow, it really worked. Like she was ignoring all these other people talking to her. But because I was talking to her in Chinese, she gave me priority and I got, uh, you know, I, I made my flight. My luggage did not, but I made my flight uh, and I was able to make it to Shanghai and so forth. So that like, I feel like, wow, it all came together. Well, that's right. And it's story. like all this vocabulary, this stupid, stupid vocabulary that I learned over the years about airports and lining up and time, right? It all came together there. It all was like at the forefront of my brain. I was able to pull it out and use it. And it's those combinations of vocabulary, grammar, skills, speaking, everything that, that made it possible. Oh, that's pretty cool. Those are awesome experiences. So I also want to know from your experience, like how important is literacy to you in learning Chinese? What, what, what do you mean by literacy? Do you mean like reading and writing as opposed to just speaking? Yeah. Literacy is being able to read, being able to read in Chinese. Massive, massive. Um, I mean, I know that there are foreigners in China who go there and learn to speak and they don't learn to read. And I think there are at least two or three different reasons why it's important to read. First of all, at least in my experience, the reading and the speaking reinforce each other. And I know it's not an alphabetic system, right? So it's not a perfect one-to-one correspondence there. But if you get to know the characters, then you'll see the sort of the hints, the, the sound-alikes that are in there and the connections among them. And that helps me at least to remember how to pronounce certain things and vice versa. When I pronounce them, I can sort of remember what the characters look like. Um, so there's that. Second of all, it, it, it seemed at first, and maybe this is true for many people learning Chinese, before I learned Chinese, it seemed like it was just random squiggles. Heaven knows like what people, like how could people possibly read this? Like my handwriting's bad. Yeah, I call them spooky animals, you know? Yeah, like come on, come on. And when you learn it, you realize, oh my God, there's actually a system here. And it's an interesting, clever system. And so, for example, what I, I just was telling someone recently about traditional characters versus simplified characters and how like they're different from each other. And the fact that I can pick up now on these subtle differences is great. But at the end, it's all practical, right? Like the fact that I can go to China then and read street signs, the fact that when I was looking for my flight in August, there happened to be a tiny little sign, teensy-weensy little sign saying, if you're on Hainan Airlines, don't go to this door. You want to go to the door across the hall. Oh my goodness, if I hadn't seen that sign, I would have then definitely missed my flight. So they're, uh, being able to read a menu, not perfectly, but being able to figure out what things are. All these things enhance my experience and make me less dependent on other people, more independent, more like an adult, and able to navigate. Right? Like I go through China on my own, and I talk to people and figure it out on my own, and I'm able to sort of, you know, just sort of figure things out on my own. And if I weren't literate or even semi-literate in Chinese, I don't think that would be possible. So I, I really think it's a, a, a crucial skill for someone learning the language. And the more you're there, the more it'll help. Now, you go to China a lot to train people for your job. But I also want to know a little bit more beyond, uh, is there any impact that Chinese has had on your career beyond 
just being able to get around China better or just socially interact with people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, Chinese has given me incredible perspective as a learner, not just as a last name, but as like someone learning things <laughs> that basically, you know, when I'm teaching programming, programming is hard and it requires thinking in new and different ways. And yet, if you're an experienced programmer, it all seems super obvious to you. And so when I first started teaching programming, I would basically go through a very quick list. Well, you know, this is a list and this is a dictionary. This is a file. This is a module. Got it? Great. On we go. And learning Chinese has given me an understanding that it's just laughable to think that people can learn in that way. You can't learn in that way. It's not enough to just be told something. You have to practice and practice a lot and practice from many different perspectives and in many different ways repeatedly. And so I have, as a result of learning my Chinese, I think become a much better programming instructor. I give much slower and more complete explanations. I give a lot of why explanations. Why do things work? So they'll understand the uh, sort of the logic behind it. And I give tons and tons and tons of exercises. I'm sort of known now as like the Python exercise guy. I have entire courses that are 100% exercises for people who have taken courses and feel like, no, I need more practice to improve. And that's totally from Chinese. I'll also say that like my there are certain phrases that I've now removed from my vocabulary as a teacher because I realize how frustrating they are to hear as a student. So I'll sometimes say to my teacher, oh, how do I say something, something, something? And she'll say, well, we learned this already. It is. And I'm like, okay, we learned it, but I forgot. Mm-hmm. People forget things. I don't, it's not on the tip of my tongue. And I, I realized that at a certain point, I would say, as we learned earlier, or as I said earlier, in response to someone's question, I was like, oh my God, that makes them feel so small. They're not asking because like they want to annoy me. They didn't purposely forget what I said, genius though it might be, right? They're forgetting because they're human and they're in a classroom. And it's my responsibility to help them gain more fluency. The other thing is that I'm never going to be 100% fluent in Chinese because you're never 100% fluent in any language, even in your native language. There's always more to learn. And so I've taken that to my programming classes and I say, it's a lifelong journey. My course is maybe four days long and I'll get you going, but you're going to have however many years of programming in Python, you're going to need to keep learning Python because that's just the way learning is. And once you come in with that attitude of, I'm never going to stop learning, I'm just going to get better and better. I think it's very healthy. So so it's definitely had an impact on my on my approach there. If you could go back to when you first started learning Chinese and take what you know now, what would you do differently? How would you approach uh, learning the language differently, if at all? So I think teachers and my teachers also tend to be a little forgiving slash loose with people's pronunciation. Oh, yeah, you know, they're American, so they'll never pronounce, you know, this versus that correctly. And so I think as a result, my pronunciation has definitely suffered. I'm trying to get better. People understand me generally, generally, but not always. And I think concentrating on correct pronunciation, correct tones from the beginning and having a teacher who's tough with you about it, maybe I, maybe I would have resented it then and given up quickly. So it's possible that like I wouldn't have said, oh, wow, what a great language. I would have said, oh, what a stupid language where no one understands you unless like you're yelled at 10 times in advance. But I definitely would concentrate more on pronunciation. I would similarly have spent more time early on with listening comprehension. And again, maybe that wouldn't have been possible because my grammar and vocabulary weren't good enough to really listen at like native speed. So when I was there in August, I had some business meetings 
And I was all, huh, I've been learning Chinese. I can go to these meetings. And I was told, well, there'll be a translator there. I was like, I don't need a translator. I know Chinese. Luckily, there was a translator there, folks, because we got there and I probably understood maybe 40% of what they were saying, which I was delighted by. But you can't run a business meeting with 40% comprehension unless you want to be snookered big time (laughs) Um, (laughs) or just like look like an idiot. And I think it was partly because they had heavy accents, but partly because they were just speaking at native speeds. And so now one of the things I'm really trying to concentrate on is listening as much as possible at fast speed and not just to my teacher. Because my teacher and her you know, counterparts uh, at uh, ECL, they've all been trained to speak slowly and clearly. And the average person on the, speed, on the street will speak more quickly and speak less clearly and probably with a heavier accent. And though that combination will just, will just get you. So what advice would you give to someone right now who's learning Chinese and maybe they're getting a little discouraged or they're kind of going through the trough of sorrow, you know, or trough <laughs> of despair, you know, and trying to move up the ladder of their language proficiency? What advice would you give to someone like that? So first of all, you don't have to be thoroughly fluent in order to communicate and in order to enjoy the language. Right. So like, you know, I see, uh, you know, I, I, when I'm in Shanghai, I also meet with John and it's always great. Great to see him. And I'm always in awe when he speaks Chinese. It's like, oh my God, that's where I want to be. Right. Like the way he's being that, that's like, it's gotta be possible. Right. He's got some amazing Chinese. <laughs> right. And, and yet, and yet like I'm still able to communicate. I go to hotels, I go to restaurants, I talk to taxis, I chat with people on the street. So it's not like I'm, I have no communication skills. It's just not where I'd want to be. So if you're frustrated, disappointed, don't compare yourself to perfection. Compare yourself to where you were and realize that slow, steady progress is normal, natural, and you can still get a lot out of that. Um, And I also say, just try to surround yourself with it. Here's one trick that I used also that really annoys my family. I put ways on in Chinese. (laughs) I can tell you... (laughs) My family begs me to switch it to English or to have my wife use her phone or something. But I'll tell you, it sounded really fast at first, but very quickly I was able to understand, like I didn't understand left and right at first. That's when I started using it, right? So quickly understood left and right. I understood like, uh, you know, take, take the right exit, take the left exit, you know, all sorts of little things that hearing it at semi-native speed uh, or native speed will be useful. Just surround yourself with it. By the way, by the way, it's always fun to have guests come in my car. And I had guests from China and I flip on ways and they're like, what the heck is this? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so there's a little bit of showing off there as well, I will admit. Although I had another guest who actually speaks Chinese. She said, Ways sounds like she's like <laughs> not very happy today. So, so it seems that I didn't pick up on the nuances of how that particular voice sounded, but okay. Anyway, you will definitely improve. It's definitely worth it. You and and you'll get great satisfaction out of it. You just can't predict exactly when. Can predict exactly when. It's like it's also like you sometimes you're Chinese. You never know when it's going to come in handy. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's not Chinese, but like I studied Spanish in high school, and the only time I've ever used Spanish, we were in Paris, uh, my family on vacation, and we're at the metro, and this woman comes off the metro and she says, "Do you speak Spanish?" And I said. Yes. And she said, great, here's some free Metro tickets for the next week. Enjoy. Wow. So, like, so, so who would have thought? Who would have thought that it would come in handy? So you never know when the Chinese will come in handy. Yeah, yeah. And especially if you're doing any business with China, I find that knowing even a little bit goes a long way, A, toward impressing them, 
and uh, or even stunning them. And B, you can get <laughs> understand what's really going on. Even understanding what's going on a little bit more than not knowing is, is a great thing and a great source of pride. So what is your hope for the future with your Chinese language skills? Look, my semi-unrealistic hope is that I will be able to one day give my lectures in Chinese. That's like my my total pipe dream, that one day I'll be able to teach intro Python, go into a classroom and teach it in Chinese. If I can do that, I'll feel fantastic. Um, but even starting this company, I know that I'm going to have to hire a few people to like do some basic like secretarial stuff and so forth. And my hope is that I'll be able to talk to them mostly in Chinese. And I think that'll be a, a challenge. But probably, probably, especially like the city I'm going to be starting the company in for all sorts of bureaucratic reasons, this place called Yangzhou outside of Shanghai. And my guess is that whoever I find along with the incubator I'm working with, their English is not going to be so hot. And my Chinese might be better than their English. And that's probably a good thing for me. So if I can talk to them slowly but surely, build up fluency that way, I'll also be super happy. Like the, the idea of being able to run a business even partly in Chinese, as I'm sure you know from your experience, what a great thing, right? Yeah. But but I, I'm only to take what I can get. Well, Bruven, for you know what I know about you, I think for you, it's just you keep up doing what you're doing, you're going to get there. It's just a matter of time. Thanks. Thanks so much. You have been listening to the You Can Learn Chinese podcast. Help us spread the word by sharing this with your friends, classmates, teachers, cousins, mechanics, social worker, homemaker, busboy, lumberjack, and the one guy named Sean. You can subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And please write us a review so we know how we're doing. You can find us on Facebook and at mandarincompanion.com. Apologies to John Cena, we just ran out of time. The You Can Learn Chinese podcast is produced by myself, Jared Turner, and our editor is James Harper. I'd like to thank Reuben Lerner and my co-host, the man, the myth, the legend, John Pazman. See you next time.